Hey there. Welcome to the Literary Escape Podcast. I'm your host, Becky, and I'm glad you're here today. On the Literary Escape Podcast, we talk about books. We talk about escapes that we can have through our books. And I always have some great book recommendations for you. So buckle up and let's see where we're going today. Enjoy the show. Hey there, and welcome back to Literary Escapes Podcast. Today on the podcast, I have a treat for you, a conversation I had with author Rachel Hauk and her career as a Christian author and what she has done throughout the years. So sit back and relax and enjoy a fun conversation. Let's dive right in. Hi there. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So... How did you even get into writing? Um, so I always wanted to write. And my father would tell me, Rachel, you're a writer, be a writer. And all the way up oh. through college, I was a journalism major. But I think at one point I called him and I said, I think I want to be a teacher. And he said, nope, you got to be a writer. And he was right. He, he just yeah. saw that that was eventually what I would gravitate to anyway, which is funny because my first job out of college, I worked for... Um, Harris Corporation when my particular division made computers for newspapers so they wanted people with journalism background journalism experience okay and so I would we trained them the newsroom and then eventually I worked on the classified advertising system how to use our products and so you know I didn't know what a pica and a point was and the galleys and and gutters and you know all of the measurements and all of the lingo that goes into producing a newspaper and so so I ended up being a teacher anyway. I traveled all over the Isn't world. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Funny. So I say, though, all of my travels, I was writing anyway. You know, you're, you're gleaning from people. I was always curious about people, always asking people, well, how do you mean? How do you mm-hmm. do that? Why, why do you do that? What are you doing? So I'm always, was always a little curious. But anyway, I got married a year later. I felt like to quit my job. And my husband was like, I think you're supposed to quit your job. I'm like, okay. And I had had a job since I was 14. Yeah. And, and I write in the Christian space. And it had just really started coming online. Jeanette Oak with her Canadian Westerns was kind of the love comes okay. softly, was a, you know, very popular Hallmark series. Yeah. She was kind of the one who opened the door to, I was a commercial fiction. We had other fiction, uh, Christy, um, you know, some of those kind of stories, but they were like a one-off or, or what you saw was biblical fiction. Right. So here's, a, here's a historical, but kind of with a contemporary feel to it. And so she kind of kicked open the door for, for people to write stories with kind of a faith-based. So that's Interesting. Okay. That was kind of early 80s. And then we see uh, Ted Decker comes along probably in mid-90s. But then you see things like Frank Peretti with this present darkness and piercing the darkness. Huge stories. Francine Rivers' Redeeming Love is really popular. So we start to see some of the publishing houses now, in the beginning, it's different now, but in the beginning, Christian publishing, you're going to get a whole history here. Christian publishing was mission-based. And so, oh, okay. so all of their, all of, they published things and that, that went into mission and supported missionaries and supported missions. And so they were very much a kind of a, a not-for-profit profit organization. And so now they're more interesting actual publishing industry. And so they didn't take a lot of chances with yeah. that they didn't think and you know just in the christian space and i think even still today um it's a hard christian fiction is a hard it's not a hard sell it's gaining ground but i was listening to somebody the other day and she said she actually writes 
inspirational nonfiction. She writes in that space. But when she reads fiction, she reads general market. So I think it just is kind of a, something that we're still growing in. Yeah. So, but at the time, they had Zondervan Bookstore. They had walls and walls of Christian fiction. And I didn't even know it existed. Wow. And my husband and I just started reading it. We didn't have a television. So we would just sit around the evening and read, which so grateful I didn't have a television because I would have preferred, I would have done that. Yeah. So I started writing. We got a computer. So desktop computers were coming online. Yeah. Early 90s. We got a computer. <laughs> I was reading this World War II series, probably from Gilbert Morris. And I just thought I can do this. So I just started writing. People would always ask me, what do you want to do? And I would say, I wanted to write. Always, always wanted to write. I thought I wanted to write children's mm. novel because I really loved the Laura Ingalls Wilder Little House series. Yeah. And I thought it was easier. It's not. Writing for children is not easier than writing for adults. That's so funny. Yeah. Huh. So I, the, I worked in a kid's library for a while at an elementary school. And um, I love you you have to capture their attention just like an adult yeah. and, and you have to use language it's a language level yeah and uh, kids like the beginning readers were so anxious to get to the good stories because the ones that were you know a lot of the ones that were the beginning chapter books that kind of thing were in their opinion very boring and they wanted to get up to the you know harry potters or whatever oh sure, stories sure. that were fun and so there's this, you know, you just got to get through these to get to those kind of thing. And so oh, finding right. books that fit that initial air, you know, that initial niche was, um, it was fun. Yeah, it is fun. And you think that everybody kind of reads up. So 16 year olds, I know, I write for adults. So people would say, well, what's your target audience? I would say early 30s on up. Okay. Uh, you know, it's obviously appropriate for 20 year olds. It's just a matter of, are they interested? All of my characters are 30 years old because I figure that's just kind of like right in that space. And I don't have to remember how old they are. They're 30, period. Everybody's exactly. 30. Everybody's 30. Every book, everybody's 30, unless for I have a reason for them to not be 30, which I've had that in the past. Okay. But it just, it just um, I feel like it's a nice middle ground for older readers because I'm 61 and I can kind of remember being 30. It's yeah. a little bit harder to remember being 18, 19, and 20. So yeah, that's a whole different headspace. That's a whole different headspace. And so our 16-year-old girls interested in reading about a 30-year-old. Some of them are, but they might be more interested in reading about 20, 21, 22-year-olds. That's right. where we saw the rise of new adult fiction, those girls yeah. that are kind of those characters. And that's another one that's hard to find really good clean books, I guess, because right. my daughter was a, a very bright reader and finding books that fit that were appropriate for you know a 16 you know right. 14 15 16 year old 18 year old to read that weren't you know too mature in my opinion for her okay. um, you don't want to stir up things they're not ready for <laughs> yeah, and she wasn't really interested in you know reading about 30 year olds or you know and right so yeah it was it was really hard to find books that would capture her attention um yeah and one of the things that we face when we write in the christian space is some of the more conservative angles uh, or angles more conservative um, streams i'll say that more conservative streams where 
you know, they, the kids are homeschooled, which I think is fabulous. I have a homeschool, friends who homeschool. I have family that homeschools. Yeah, I think it's awesome. However you want to educate your children. But then you, just depends on what they've been exposed to. So even at mm-hmm. 14, 15, 16, just because it's Christian doesn't mean it's always age appropriate. So, you know, we have That's to That's interesting, with, yeah. We have to deal with more severe subjects or sometimes we deal with a little bit more sensuality in, a, in an adult version of the book. We, there's no, you know, sex scenes, doors are closed, but you're dealing with very real feelings of two people who are falling in love and it may not be appropriate for your 14-year-old. You may not have had all of those conversations with them. Right. Had the biological conversation, but you haven't had the emotional conversation. Right. So, right. So that's something that, you know, I often feel like for as someone who writes in this space, I'm like, I want to be a good novel that anyone would want to read because all books have some level of spirituality to them. Right. All books have some level of life philosophy of the author so to speak mm-hmm. yeah so, I would agree with that yeah you want them to be so you want everyone to find your books enjoyable entertaining good message hopeful at the end satisfying ending if not a exactly author. right but then you also there's an expectation to be a little bit of what some of the Christian market would want you to have in the story um, so I write what I feel like is right for the story and I just leave it to God after that, the outcome yeah. is on my shoulders. I'm writing what I feel like is in a, is right for the story. And so. And are you traditionally published? So you I'm, have people that are looking at it that. Oh yeah. Will, so I, you I know, was put their two cents in. Yes. I was traditionally published for ooh, 15, 16 years. Wow. And then I took a break and I did a couple of indie books but because I was traditionally published and I knew that whole process, I used some of the same people, some of the same editors and some of the same process okay. I had at my traditional house. So I went through the same process because I felt like even though I'm independent for these two books, three books, I can't lower my standard. I have to yeah. have standard. I have to deliver what people have expected of a book that has my name on it. So that proved to be a challenge because it takes a long time to do all that. <laughs> yeah, on your own, especially. Yeah. It was a yeah. little bit pricey and a little bit time consuming. And yeah. in the indie world, you have to write fast. That's but- the impression that I get. Yeah. I I'm staggered by how many books some of the indie authors can crank out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I- I have a writing partner, Susie Warren, and she is amazingly fast. She writes so fast and she writes well. You know, you can write fast and not write well. You can write well, but you don't write fast. She has the to do both. Wow, what a gift. (laughs) What a huge gift. And I told her one day, I said, you know what? I think you look at a book like a project. I've got two months to do this project. I'm like, oh, I have to write this story. It's art. emotion I have to you know I feel like I approach it and then I'm like oh it's a project you better oh yeah that (laughs) I always make my deadlines and technically I write fairly fast for you know some people take years to write a book right I can can write two in about 16 months or so but you know I just (laughs) I'm more of a like I just want to flow down the river with this book and see what comes up (laughs) 
I got something else to do in two months. I'm typing this one out right now. Exactly. This one's done. Yeah, she's fabulous. She's just fabulous at it. That's so, so funny. I, I admire her a great deal. I love, I love that there's so many different ways to do it, you know? Yeah, they're right. And the, then that's that caveat. So when I signed a contract last summer after, you know, spending two years in the indie world, I really struggled because I did have a third book in the series that I had to put off because I had other commitments, but I, I really struggled with feeling like I failed. I'm like, you didn't give it enough time. You needed to make adjustments to, to wait to the way, what you were writing, how fast you were writing. And so I really struggled with that and thinking, you know, you left a lot of money on the table and, you know, look how fast, look what they're doing over there. Why can't you do that? Yeah. You know, there's just, always that. Yeah. It. Be yourself. And not everything is about the money. You no. Know? Of course you do a job to get paid. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you want to make the most money possible. But if you're killing yourself or you're just, that's your only motivation, all the joy goes out of it. That's, I, yes, I would agree with that. I felt like some of that is some of the indie authors, you know, when they're publishing like a book a month or something or how, you know, how is there joy in that? Maybe, I don't know. I, seems like it would be really hard, but I, I think if you're in the river, a, a book a month, you have a whole different process. You, you have, and that works, works really well for what I would call formula books like suspense, thriller, um, fantasy, where you have like certain blocks that just, you have to have, yeah. yeah, you can plug and play a little bit, or maybe some, some levels of romance and I'm not knocking it at all. I think right. it's fabulous, but I think those, when you have those elements and then, then you just create some different, different characters and, yeah. and and stuff but you kind of have some of those you know what you're the doing formulaic yeah and I mean as a reader we know that going into certain genres that it's a formula and you expect yeah. certain things at certain points and yeah it's okay you know it's it's okay that it's like that and it's there fun are to see what different people do with it yeah that's right and there are readers who just consume that and that's yeah. how and if you can produce it they'll read it they so will that's but what I read is, you know, these big kind of general market or Christian market, literary novels, women's, I, I don't like the term women's fiction because that has a certain connotation, but there, I yeah. say contemporary fiction, you know. I like, like that better. Yeah. Because it's like, why, you know, what's, do they have men's fiction? I, I know, right? I know. I know. <laughs> well, it just means that it's not a strong romance, I guess. Okay. But I, I feel With like. With probably a woman main character, maybe? Yeah. You know, Almost every book has a female protagonist, I'm sure. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I find all that really weird, you know, the women's fiction. Well, of all of the things that we complain about, you know, on, on the playing field of feminism and all those areas, I'm like, we rock fiction because almost every protagonist is a female. There's a few male protagonists, Harlan Colvin and John Grisham. Yeah. Uh, Michael Crichton and those guys, Tom Clancy wrote male protagonists. There's plenty of male protagonists, uh, CJ Box, but most fiction is women all over the place. <laughs> yeah. you rule. I mean, That's, most authors are women and most heroines yeah. protagonists are women for sure, for sure. Well, and it's so funny to think that like back, not even that long ago, you know, Jane Austen had to 
not use her real name, you know, and an an author. I I forget how she did her first book, but um, you know, her brother had to submit it and crazy to think that you know women weren't supposed to be authors I know but look how far we've come yeah yeah I love that I love and I love hearing people's stories about how they get there and um, so what was your first published book my first published book was a little tiny thin romance called Lambert's Pride it was uh in a one of those collections you know the monthly um subscription collection okay um the Barbara Publishing produced four heart songs every month and I met the one one of their top authors at the time this was probably in the late 90s okay met her at a conference Lynn Coleman and she said well we do something together and she lived in Florida so we got together and she she talked to the publisher and said hey I think Rachel can do this why don't we do something together so we wrote the first one together and then I wrote the other books in the series but what's really funny about this Becky is that I initially did not want to write for them I read their guidelines super sweet romance a list of words you could not use oh my like good grief um lots of geez you could like oh geez you couldn't say that I thought well how are these people going to be real yeah so because it was kind of aimed at a really conservative market and I thought this Mm -hmm. isn't me I'm not doing this well guess what yes you are (laughs) (laughs) be careful what you say right (laughs) right yeah so I wrote it and then Lynn kind of put her spin on it we we uh, brainstormed and plotted the book together but that kind of taught me I was working full-time also Uh, I was a project manager a software company at you know where I came up for Harris and so I was writing at night, writing on the weekends. I know what it's like to do that whole full-time thing and have to have to have a book deadline. They're only about 40,000 words. So I, okay. it took me five months because <laughs> I had to work. But um, that was my first book, yeah. Very cool, okay. And, and then, then, go ahead. I was gonna say, then <laughs> Chiclet came along right in that whole swirl. Nice, yeah. Kristen Billerbeck wrote what a girl wants it was just going to break out chiclet in the christian space and i was reading it all this chiclet i was reading general market chiclet i was reading kristen's books and i said i can do this uh, mm. this is me i wrote a chiclet when i was 12 i'm not kidding i wrote a story about a girl who lived in new york city i'd never even been to new york city <laughs> i had an apartment and i don't know what her job was because i was a huge mary tyler moore fan so I wrote about Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, so fun. I loved that voice. I thought it was funny. I didn't know if I could write funny, but I thought I'd give it a try. Yeah. And I, then Steeple Hill, which is a arm of Harlequin. Okay. They came up with Steeple Hill Cafe, which was momlet and chiclet. So my next one, George on her mind with um, set here in the Brevard County where I live on the East coast of Florida. And anyway, yeah, and it was semi-autobiographical. I pulled a lot from my corporate experience. Okay, okay. <laughs> I hyperbolized a lot. So if, if anybody out there knows me and reads it, it's not anybody you know. <laughs> That's so funny. But I took some of my real physical experiences there and, and put them on the page. So that Hard was- not to. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I steal from everybody. Yeah, it's hard. It's funny. I. Um... I forget who it was I was talking to, but they were saying that they 
you know, hear all these different conversations, like sitting in a restaurant or something, and you hear all these different conversations going on. And I do that. It's hard not to hear others. My husband pays zero attention to anyone else. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I want to hear what's, you know, I need to hear what's finishing up in that conversation. (laughs) And and you kind of build your own stories, I guess, um, of what's happening in people's lives that you have no idea who they are or what's going on. And so I was same thing with me. I was in a restaurant. I have a couple of these stories, but I was in a restaurant. My husband and I go to the same diner for breakfast a couple mornings a week, and there was a table of women, and they were talking about dogs, and they were talking about uh, kennels and probably breeding dogs. And I just thought it was fascinating because I currently was writing a book called To Save a King, and the the crown prince is in my little town in Tennessee called Hartspin. And he's become friends with the heroine, Gemma. And this, she rescues animals. And the, oh. this old vet has brought her six puppies. Their mom was killed. And so she, he goes, you got to raise these, Gemma. I, I don't have time. You got to do it. She's like, I don't know how to do this. And, then, uh-huh. and of course, the prince is like, I will help. And so <laughs> I named them all for the cast of friends. So there's Ross, Joey, Chandler, Rachel, Monica, and Phoebe. Oh, so funny. I, so as I'm listening to these women talk, I thought I got to get over there and ask them I gotta to talk to them. Yeah. And they were saying, that's how you name AKA, I think that's the right term, AKA puppies is you name them for movie characters. You name them for fiction characters. That's how they get named. They, and I was like, Oh, my brilliance just emerged. I didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. I didn't know that either. I, didn't, I know it was kind of cool to kind of have that confirmed. And yeah. she, I think I asked them a couple of questions, but this is the funniest story though. So for a season, my husband taught at a private high school here and um, he's been a pastor for 35 years, but anyway, he did a small stint at a private school. So we were at the staff Christmas party and we were at another teacher's home, beautiful home. And, and we were all having chili and sitting around talking, having a good time. And we were sitting across one of the, from one of the young teachers, I think she was elementary school teacher, probably in their early twenties. Okay. And her husband and her husband was not eating. Everybody is eating, but he is not eating. I said, what's wrong? Why, why aren't you eating? I don't, I don't know how I came to ask him, but I was like, why aren't you eating? Yeah. Because I don't eat food at other people's houses. I said, what? I don't eat food at other people's houses. Why not? Well, I don't know how it was prepared. I said, there's the kitchen. There's the refrigerator. There's the cabinet. Open it up. Take a peek. Yeah. What? I said, well, what do you eat? Well, pizza. You don't know how that was prepared. (laughs) And I'm like, do you eat frozen food? Yeah. And I said, have you read about frozen food? <laughs> have you read Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential? You'll never eat a restaurant again. And oh I was gosh. just like, oh my gosh. And right in the middle of my husband goes, stop. Rachel's an author. And I just have to warn you that anything you say, and do, will probably- and will be used in a book. <laughs> oh, but that was just too much to let go. I was, I, I questioned him so much. I think he started to doubt his own phobia, but he just kind of had this mental- thing about I don't eat in other people's houses and I said are you the only one in your family that has this other people in your family have this <laughs> I was really kind of drilling it it was and his wife was just kind of like smirking like yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah exactly that's oh, so that funny so has that shown up in a book yet 
Yeah. Oh yeah. That was, okay. that, I think that probably showed up in uh, either that chiclet George on her mind or the next book after okay. so that 2006 and seven. <laughs> I also, I also had a roommate. She had a funny um, phobia. She would eat hamburger if it was chopped up for like tacos. Okay. But if you made it into a patty and cooked it, no, yuck, wasn't going to eat that. And I said, okay, that's going in the book. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's so many funny things about people. I, I love yeah. that. I think I actually have a book. I don't know if I still have it. I, I hope I do. It's a book of things that people are afraid of, phobias, weird things, just a, just a crazy list. It's like that thick of all wow. kinds of like, heard of somebody who wouldn't cross the road or something. I, it's crazy. <laughs> that is, yeah, there's a phobia for everything, isn't there? Yeah. Huh. Oh, maybe this is it right here. I, I, I gotta show you this. I think this is it. That book of perfectly useless information. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I think- That's so funny. Uh, yeah, it just has all kinds of weird things that you can just, you never know what you can use as quirky dialogue. Yeah. Some weird thing. Or like you have a group of people sitting around and somebody just throws out some really, maybe after a tense situation and somebody just throws out a really random fact and it just takes the, the scene and the story in a, or the conversation in a different direction. Completely it, different direction, yeah. Yeah, or sometimes it could be useless and it actually could be useful to you in yeah. your story process so yeah <laughs> that's funny my son loves useless facts and being able to throw them around so I'm gonna have to find that book for yeah <laughs> I think you would enjoy that you could take him on <laughs> exactly yeah I'm telling you have it that's and so funny he would he'll go oh well did you know <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute let me I got one for you <laughs> now you have your book down on the side and you're kind of like yeah exactly <laughs> that's so funny that's funny, yeah. So I was reading that The Wedding Dress is your first New York Times one, right? I would like to say first of several, but it's the one and only. Okay, okay. <laughs> one and only, I'm proud. Yeah, thank you. That's Jesus. awesome, yeah. <laughs> that book sound. tell us about the book because that sounds, I like the, the premise of sure. this book. So I had, I was writing for Thomas Nelson, which is Har now HarperCollins Christian. And I had done a series of low country novels with them. But in the middle of that, I had written also the series with country artist Sarah Evans called The Songbird Novels. And so I would, had completed all of that. And I think they were kind of holding on to see how all of my sales were going to do. I was grateful that my, my low country series had earned out. You know, once you get on the trad side, it's all about money. I mean, it's just a business. Mm -hmm. You have to sell well to, for them to continue with you. And, and sure, if they're not selling you well as an author, it's so disappointing, but maybe there's another house that can do something different with you and you can find a nice spot. So it's, it's a both and. So anyway, I think they were looking, my first series with them didn't sell well. And so they were just looking and then they were kind of probably watching what happened with Sarah's books. So they gave me a one book contract, kind of, I think it was a consolation prize. <laughs> <laughs> do and and I was fascinated with the split time structure which is part of the story set in the past and part of the story set yeah like the, the dual timelines yeah I love exactly. those 
the first one I read was The Shape of Mercy by Susan Meisner. And I just thought it was fascinating. What fascinated me about it, fascinated me about it was you could actually kind of time travel a little bit, yeah. for lack of a better word. I would love to know if I could, and I'm sure you too, could would too, if we could go back and talk to our ancestors about why did you make this decision? Yeah. Why did you move here? Why did you do that job? Um, why did you name dad this or whatever? Yeah. Then can you tell me about ancestors that I don't know about? We would all love to do that. And so that's what I thought the dual timeline allowed to happen in the story. So nice. I could look at the protagonist's past. They don't know, but the reader knows. And then, then it's a matter of weaving the stories kind of together. weaving them together, yeah. So the I past kind of heals the present. And then I did one book, The Writing Desk, where the present healed the past. So that oh, was good. That's and interesting. Kind of, okay. That kind of fulfilled a promise. And the promise that wasn't kept, the contemporary heroine fulfilled the promise. So, oh, cool. um, so that's what I did with the wedding dress. And, and so I was, it was 2012 and 1912. And the idea for the wedding dress came when I was hanging out with some women in Nashville, outside of Nashville. We were, we got together on Twitter. We knew each other loosely and we're like, let's, let's hang out one weekend. And we said, and we're literally tweeting this conversation. Okay. In the early days of Twitter, probably 08, 09. Early oh, wow. Days. Okay. Um, so, and Kim Cash Tate was one of the women she's doing really well with like the Kling series, um, African-American author who's had great success. Nice. Um, anyway, she, we were just going back and forth and we said, let's just do it. Put a day on the calendar. We're, let's just not say we will and never do it. So there we are all together. One of them's homes outside of Nashville. And they were talking, the hostess was talking about finding her daughter's wedding dress. And when you know, you know. And all of a sudden, Becky, I was like, Foom. I was gone. I was like in wedding dress land. Like, ooh, oh, that's fun. Like this one wedding dress that four women wore over a hundred years, but they're not connected to each other. Like they're oh. not mother to granddaughter to yeah. niece. They're not connected. Originally they were going to be connected. And so in the meantime, the conversation had changed because one of them women had been the president of Borders Bookstore, um, and she was currently the president at Thomas Nelson, the former president at Thomas Nelson. Uh, one of them was the VP of marketing and the children's and gift section, and one of them, the Kim Cash Tate, had been an entertainment lawyer in a previous life, and they're wow. all talking business, right? They've gone on talk business and strategy, and I'm You're like, still hey, back guys. on wedding dresses, yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey guys, what about this wedding dress? And they were like, uh, yeah, run with that. And then later that night, we're getting ready to go to bed. They all came in my room like, no, we really like that idea, Rachel. Like, no, yay. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I called, I had pitched another idea, kind of a Cinderella <laughs> rewrite to my editor. And I called her and I go, what about this? And she goes, I just got chills. So I'm like, we're doing it. So we did the wedding dress. And just from the get-go, it just, it sold really well from the get-go. Nice. And then it came out in 2012. Okay came out in 2012 and then in 2013 they put it on sale on the amazon D daily deal on new year's eve which is one of their their biggest day so oh. I had, I, then in those days only one author had the daily deal so i had the daily deal on new year's wow. eve uh, my good friend colin coble had the daily deal on christmas day those are the two biggest sale days dang for ebooks there are ebooks at that time mm -hmm. so, well anytime you have a daily deal is an ebook and um 
I sold really, really well, so much that the president of HarperCollins, who had acquired Thomas Nelson, was like, wait, who's this? What yeah, who's this? Where's this from? What is this? And he literally said, is that one of those books with the bonnet on it, you know, one of the Amish, because Amish sell so well. <laughs> like, no, it's just a, just kind of a romance book from the Christian space. And he was like, well, all right. You know, so it, I think it was the number one selling ebook that week. So that's wow. why I got attention. And okay. Then 2015, it went on sale again and hit the USA Today. And then later that year, they put it on sale with a whole bunch of titles uh, for, for Christmas and the holidays. And it outsold everybody at, at that wow. point. And, and we went into 2016 and they said, oh, it's on sale again for February. And I was like, oh, okay. I, yeah. I have other books, you know. And it just, Amazon put it on the front page. Now I know Am, you can be... Um, kind of have a customized front page but if there's things amazon wants you to see see that it's on the front page okay now they've gone to monthly deals so it was part of the monthly deals and it was all of their kind of featured monthly books i've had monthly deals since then and even i couldn't find out where it was the monthly deal i had to actually type in the title okay it was on sale but it was on the front page of amazon the second book and it just we were downloading like 900 copies a day. It was just, How yeah. fun. And then, and then they got on it. Okay, then other retailers get on it. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how other retailers, if they were in on it from the beginning or if it just started selling and they started noticing it, but it just started selling everywhere. Because you cannot hit the New York Times if you just sell well on Amazon. Okay. So Amazon authors um, have a hard time getting on yeah especially if you're KU I would think because that's just right. Amazon right yeah Amazon. so even Amazon's Montlake they're they're publishing imprints um that's why they created their own charts which is just as valid as any other okay. bestseller list so um anyway so it I so I was hearing how well it was selling and about a few weeks later I got a call and they were like Rachel we're all in a room together and I'm like okay great what's going on <laughs> number nine on the new york times i'm like ah then i just oh, had how fun really really good friends at a writer's retreat and it was yeah it was super fun that's it nine weeks nine weeks on the new york times wow that's a that's awesome congratulations what a cool thing to have happened i know so my poor publisher though everybody's all the other authors are calling how can you do that for me and they're like we don't know we, can't, we don't know we can't do it crazy know, magic that happened yeah I call it the God factor. And what's funny was two of my favorite books that I read in 2015 was The Girl on the Train and Kristen Hannah's Nightingale. And I wrote the New York Times above, between, or below those two books for nine weeks. It wow. was a contest to see like where- Shuffling around, where yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. And then I fell off and they stayed on, but that's okay. <laughs> you were there. I was there. I was you there. Were there. That's amazing. I love that. That's yeah, good fun. stuff. So what are you working on now? So now I'm working on a traditional book. So I have the two indie books, the, the True Blue Royals. There's one right back there. Mm -hmm. uh, love a Prince and To Save a King. And there's a third book coming in that called To Win a Crown because they have a sister that they didn't know about it. You know what I realized, Becky, when I started that book and, and I thought, you know, let's do something different. The queen had a baby that she didn't tell anybody about. And I'm like, oh no, I did the secret baby trope. <laughs> I was like, you didn't even uh, are you allowed to do that in the Christian? 
Oh yeah, you know what? Yeah, we were allowed to do that. But it was funny, like you think I don't want to write tropes. I don't want to write to a trope. Well, Prince is a trope. I love yeah. that. But the secret baby trope, I was like, oh yeah. Well, but it works. Sorry, yeah. Um, anyway, so I I put that aside to write a book for um, Bethany House Publishers. It's called The Best Summer of Our Lives. It's about four girls who met in kindergarten. They've been best friends all through high school. And their post-high school, before college summer is supposed to be the best summer of their lives. They're really right. going to milk it for all it's worth. And things do not go as planned. So mm. we're in the middle of them. They live in Florida, but they get shipped off to be camp counselors for a restart of a girls camp in Tumbleweed, Oklahoma. And it's exactly like it sounds. Because everybody wants to go to Oklahoma. <laughs> in the summer. Yeah. Tumbleweed. So I'm, I'm, I'm nice. on my third I'm on my third pass for that and this is where I start you know getting in the weeds you know my first fast draft you know okay I got a feel for the story the second one you kind of like everything you've written and you're kind of okay this is good this one I'm like no 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 you're not hitting it you gotta you gotta do some of these scenes you gotta layer it a little bit yeah (laughs) boring (laughs) break out the golf cart you said that already no, really, that's going to be my new motto. Break out the golf course. <laughs> I well, like that. The backdrop is for this story. So this is what I would consider, you know, it might get shelved as women's fiction, but I consider it contemporary novel. I have four heroines. I have four points of view in 1977 and 1997. Um, it's okay. not necessarily a split time, but I will have forward scenes. Um, but in 1977, the second week of June, three little girls at Camp Scott, a Girl Scout camp, were kidnapped and murdered. And so the, that's kind of the backdrop in the sense of okay. I'm not dealing with the murders of those three sweet little girls, but I am dealing with that happens while they're at their camp. And so it's kind of like the fear of the fear factor. I'm trying to balance the fear factor while also trying to show these four girls are really good friends and having a good time. But yeah. yeah the reality of four little girls were just killed they'll never have this summer they'll never fall in love they'll never go to college they'll never drive a car and the realities of how short life is and so that's kind of kind of the swirl of the story okay it's largely about friendship it's about friendship and can can friendship survive so and there's lots of secrets everybody's got a secret (laughs) Uh, secrets are good yeah those are I like those in stories and how they come out well you know they think they've told it each other everything but but (laughs) there's always the but yeah it's always cool so what are the best places for people to follow you anywhere on social media twitter You're all over okay twitter, facebook instagram i'm even on tiktok not much happening there except seeing me work out at the gym but nice <laughs> so yeah just my name rachel hauck r-a-c-h-a-u-c-k my website is rachelhauck.com okay excellent i will put those in the show notes oh yeah and if, if they're readers and they're on bookbub i'd love for them to follow me on bookbub because they okay. get notices when books are released or anything is happening, if something's on sale or whatever. So BookBub is a great place to hang out and, and follow the authors that you love. That's cool. Is that similar-ish for the reader experience um, as like a Goodreads or? I think so. It's very different than Goodreads. So it depends. I don't think authors mind hanging out at BookBub 
we like recommending other authors' books. Yeah. For readers, you can recommend a book to your followers and you can leave a review. Okay. Um, um, Goodreads, that's a that's a hard place for authors to hang out because gotcha. some, of those, some of those reviews are really rough. So uh, one okay. of the models of an author is don't read your reviews, but sometimes mm-hmm. you stumble upon them. <laughs> So uh, Goodreads, but also follow on Goodreads. You know, there's information there as well. But uh, yeah, Bob, I'll have to, a little I'll bit have to more check that out. Here. Okay, I'll put a um, link in the show notes to the book bub. I'm curious about that now, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, yeah I like book bub a lot because, mostly because it does let me know like an author I follow has a new book out. I get right, it. right. Well, cool. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for this. having me. I hope it was fun. We kind of It was uh, fun. It was <laughs> that's how they tend to go. I have I my notes and sometimes we follow them and sometimes we don't. That's okay. Well, that's okay. I know I love talking about writing, talking about books and talking with authors and talking with readers. Yeah. That's so funny. Well, thank you, Rachel. I really, really thank enjoyed you talking to you today. Thanks for joining me today on the Literary Escapes podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and maybe would like some more Literary Escape book recommendations, then come check out the Literary Escape Society. We're a community of travelers who love books or maybe book lovers who love to travel. Either way, if you need an escape, a literary escape, come join us as we read our way around the world together, one book at a time. Check out the show notes to learn more about the Literary Escape Society. And we'll see you next time on the next episode.